You know, you really should give us half a second to get to Audio Hijack or whatever application. I was, I was already there waiting. I mean, what, what did you think you were going to do this whole last ten minutes? You've been sitting here, John. Masturbate. I'm just curious. (laughs) Finish masturbating. Hello, this is Eric Van Johnson, and you're listening to PHP Ugly, episode 109. With me today are my good friends, John Conger. <laughs> That's your change-up? Hello? <laughs> That's my change-up. Last time you're like, hey, you do all the podcasts the same way. Hey, I'm Eric Van Johnson. <laughs> so now I said hello. And you introduced me first, which I like. Thank you. <laughs> and a baba buoy to you, too. And my, other... <laughs> and my other good friend, Thomas Wrightup. The year was 1834. The Blank really, Brothers traded happening? government bonds at the exchange in the city of Bordeaux. Where, where is this going? This is the history of the first cyber attack. Does this, does this tie back to 109 somehow? Cause we, no, we've not done that not, no, not no, at all. No, not at all. No, but oh. interestingly enough, did you know if you take 109 minus 105, you get 4, which happens to yes, be the winning score of the Stanley Cup tonight. For Eric's Washington, Washington Capitals. Co- Washington coincidence? Capitals. I think not. Washington Capitals. I think not. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's going to be a rough episode. <laughs> Washington Capitals. Washington Capitals. I actually had it on my list to mention, and John beat me to the punch. Uh, did you? I for see it for those that don't know, all right. So for those that don't know, we never do this, and I feel like we should occasionally, like maybe every fifty or sixty shows. But if you're listening to this show and you're wondering what you've tuned into, John, Thomas, and myself are all developers. We happen to specialize in PHP, but we're web developers, and we're really geeks at heart, so we kind of dabble in everything. And this is our little weekly get-together where we occasionally talk about coding stuff, occasionally talk about PHP stuff, but always talk about geek stuff. You never really know what you're getting into when you listen to a PHP Ugly show. But uh, we, try to, we try to keep some PHP. I got some PHP for the show today, I think. So you hopefully do. we get, get to that. Yeah, it's just some general work stuff. But before we dive into that, Thomas, I oh, know yes, you, you've got a little bit of a change up this week. This month. You're flying, you're flying solo. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, wife took the kids on a road trip, and they are gone for a straight solid month. And uh, I should have questioned my ability to care for myself before they left. But, uh, yeah, that was my whole first day of them being gone, was wondering, can I actually, am I actually capable of caring for myself well enough? Yeah, you know, they, they call that leaving, like separating, right? You, you understand like a- after two weeks, it's oh, no wish. longer vacation. You, you've you've separated. I wish. No, we're in constant okay. contact still. Mm. Mm. So, uh, what are you? What have you been doing with yourself? Anything? Wait, wait. I mean, we talk. We push the envelope on this one, but let's keep let, it clean. I, I don't want to have nightmares tonight, please. Um, lots of cleaning of the house, which took one day and my miscalculation was that it doesn't get dirty again because the kids are gone <laughs> john are you are you shuffling papers what? are you shuffling a ream of what paper are you doing? Uh, do you really want to know 
I mean, okay, can I, you I, mute I, your I, mic when you do it, though? I, I did. I opened a beer. It <laughs> foamed up and spilled everywhere. But it was muted during then. I unmuted and then happened to grab a napkin to clean up. I'm sorry. And Please. Clean, cleaned up your desk with your windshield on your mic. Please continue. <laughs> um, yeah, cleaned up the house, realized that the kids weren't there to make it dirty again, so it's just still clean, which mean, means I have nothing else to do. So then video games and TV shows and John, movies. John would probably appreciate this, but it was... I know John has a kid turning four, and it was right around that age, four or five, where... Um, my wife and kids had gone to somewhere overnight and it was probably the first time that exactly what you said, I I cleaned the house and like the next day I went to do something and stuff was still where I put it. It was like the weirdest feeling. Really confusing. After, after living in a house with other people for so long to wake up day to day and things be where you actually placed them the night before is jarring and and like it's not necessarily like pens and pencils but trash even like a beer can i can just leave it on the counter and it'll stay there for four days the kitchen (laughs) is probably the one that brings the most attention because you like i walk in the kitchen even today my my kids are older you know my, my wife has been with me for a while i can walk in the kitchen and the kitchen is going to be 95% 95% of the time going to be in a different state than I had left it even in half hour, an hour before. I would I would say so 10 kitchen, minutes. I have three kids. Yeah. Ten, 10 minutes is the longest the kitchen stays in its same state. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, man. It's a weird feeling. Yeah, and it feels weird because it feels like everything stopped moving around you. Like, it, 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 all of a sudden, the pressure of the house, just the air pressure starts sitting on your chest, and you're like, why is nothing moving? Have you have you come to the realization that like, hey, I haven't talked in like two days. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The only talking I did was to the cats, and that was because I needed to talk. See, that's the beauty it's, of co-working. You need to find a place to go co-work with people and just get together. Yeah, I'm going to be doing that next week. I'm going to be going going out and taking the laptop with me because I can't. I mean, it's too, it's too quiet. It's so weird. Oh and, my God. And just before. The hard life of a remote developer. The, the week, yeah. the week before they went so on their hard. trip, my neighbors, my only neighbors who I could see on a regular basis out my window moved out. So there's an empty house behind me now. <laughs> you probably should have stopped staring at them out your window. <laughs> well, I mean, they should, they should have put on clothes. So cause them to run away. So that's an interesting concept. Working remote, I've only done that being married. I've, and I hear people t- all the time talking about how hard it is okay. working remotely. That's Despite a- what Eric says, I'm still married. <laughs> okay. Not, I, don't, I, don't, but, but, I don't think you realize how not married you are right now. <laughs> but that's the point, is working remotely as a single person is can be very daunting. And I, I've never really thought about it it's- from that perspective. It's rough. I, it's rougher than I expected it to be. And you've only been because it's just you've only been alone for what two days, four days. Yeah, <laughs> oh I I, I have to develop new habits. Try me thing. a river. That's the thing what? is I have to develop new habits. I have to I have to not take my nap after work, and I have to 
play with my 3D printer when I want to play with it. And, you know, I, you get into all these habits with a spouse and with kids where you've got time of time of your day that's already portioned out to what Wait, they were going to do. Wait, you get to take a nap after work when your kids are home? Yes. Oh, yeah. You're, you're assuming it's after work. <laughs> no, how how does you manage that? By being very tired. Well, I'm very tired, too, because I work late and wake up early because of the kids. Your kids are smaller. I get to 5 p.m., and I'm, I am I got to be right back out there and with the kids. Not that I'm complaining. Oh, yeah, I love no. hanging out with them, but... it's the with, with teenagers, you have to develop a system of trading off with your spouse where, you know, she gets a nap, and you're the one in charge of the kids, and then you get a nap, and she takes over, and then you're both in a position where you're well-rested and can deal with it together at dinner. Yeah, that doesn't work well when your wife is with the kids all day long. That's that's why it changes when they're teenagers. It's it's a different system. Gotcha. But I've been spending right, a lot of time I'm kind with my 3D of the printer. of you know the the single man life there, Thomas. We're gonna move on. Jesus Christ, man! The man becomes single. I wanted, and all of a sudden I life wanted is so to talk for him. Okay, again, not next single. week. Next week, to... Thomas, or next week, John, he's gonna have like a new sports car that's convertible. <laughs> Midlife crisis, full effect. Exactly. He's gonna get full fledged midlife crisis. I am buying. Um, I'm buying an Arduino and a couple Raspberry Pis. That's not a sports car. No. But you can print one. I'm sure. <laughs> not a full size one. Well, All right. This so is, you guys this might is the newest thing I printed. I'm. What I'm working this? on some precision 3D printing you. stuff. Get a freaking hobby or something. What is what 3D are you printing doing is a with hobby. Your life? Um, it's about as much of a hobby as Magic the Gathering's a hobby. Do do something real yeah. with your life here, yeah. man. What did I did I just lose some listeners? I think I lost listeners. <laughs> may, I just heard a lot of people have turned no, up. No, you might have gained. I'll tell you a what, the chat listeners. the chat is dead. Oh yeah, chat is dead. Well, you what, don't have to what, say what that live on the show. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I only say that because I'm very envious. Because John still hasn't taught me how to play Magic the Gathering, and I watch it on YouTube, and I got no idea what's going really? on. I get the oh, yeah. I've taught him. Wait, no, no. Concept. I've taught him. He just, we've only played a couple of games. You've never taught me. We've never played a game. What? We went through, we went through the card deck, like, that one time in Chicago, and then, yeah, that you was know. was, like four years ago. The moment got spicy. <laughs> and then the, yeah, and, and then the hookers got there. Lights turned down. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I watch it, I understand, because John has been explaining it to me, I understand some of the concepts and how the cards work, but I, I got no idea how to play it. I've never played a game of Magic right. together. Well, I don't even know where my cards are anymore. I think I have. i got to find my cards I again. I think I might have them. Ah, that might explain why See, I See, I've been playing since the, since the first, whatever, the first edition, way back in the 90s, and I showed up to Tech a few years ago with my deck of cards, which... I guess is no longer even a real deck. You can't even use these cards anymore. <laughs> Legitimately. Why? Because they're not powerful enough? Or no, it's just they're. Are the people? It's are... just they're different. It's just older. Mm. I guess. Yeah, they they introduce new systems every cycle, and mm. the the rules change quite a bit. Oh, really? the The rules. I don't change? think the rules change yeah. that much. That's they, stressful they now. No, no, I'm stressed. Mm. Yeah. Like the the core rule set stays the same, but the rules for like new card formats change. Like when they introduce planeswalkers and stuff like that. Hey Thomas, you know what doesn't change? Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup. I heard. 
Did I ever get around to mentioning that I'm actually from Washington, D.C.? I was born in Washington, D.C. So, fun fact, when I was born in Washington, D.C., my dad was born and raised in Washington, D.C., and a lot of people on the West Coast struggle with the concept of the Northeast because the West Coast, the states are so large, the counties are so large, that the idea, when I worked in in Maryland, which is actually where I ended up living, I had a job where I drove from Maryland to Virginia to D.C., and then I would briefly touch on West Virginia. And then we had other drivers that drove up out to Delaware Delaware and back in the same day. And you tell West Coast people that, oh, yeah, I used to go through two or three states a day, which is very easy to do in the Northeast here in the U.S., and they can't get their head around it. So I typically typically tell people I was born and raised outside Washington, D.C. because they seem to know where that is better than they know where Maryland is. Like, Maryland's just not one of those states that, like, everybody just comes to mind and say, oh, yeah, I know exactly where that is. It's not like New York or, or any of the, the big northeast states. But I I was born in Washington, D.C. I actually grew up in in, uh, in Maryland. But it's kind of all the same same area. I mean, that the the capitals were the capitals when i was a kid the capitals played like very close to the neighborhood i grew up in maryland they actually played in landover maryland now i think they actually they they actually moved their stadium to uh washington dc but yeah it was i'm very excited it's a big deal man i (laughs) I caught the last two seconds of the game where they they had an empty net and icing I guess the, they there was icing and there was point six seconds left on the clock, <laughs> and they, I guess they actually go back and review the the tape to make sure that the timing is correct. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting. And I saw they won. I knew you'd I be excited. I don't follow basketball. <laughs> oh, stop it! But but the NBA finals are going on, and and uh, Golden State Warriors are killing it. Yeah, I don't follow hockey either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you may recall a couple of shows back. It's like I had a premonition or something. It's so bizarre. But I had mentioned that how much of a realization I came to about how much proprietary code base is hosted on GitHub servers. Mm-hmm. And we had a little bit of a conversation about that. And, you know, like, should we feel weird about it? And how, you know how how do people deal with that and and that was pretty much it. It wasn't a huge conversation. I don't recall this conversation at all. I don't either, but I miss are, a lot are, of shows. Are you being funny or no? I, neither of us remembers this conversation at all. Oh really? Oh really? You're going to make me have to go back and find the show where I talk about the proprietary how much proprietary information is on GitHub? Yeah, I'll hold. <laughs> <laughs> just, just based on that, so. I, I, I can narrow down the search to shows that John missed because I think John would have remembered it. You, not so much. So remember that doesn't that doesn't narrow down my my listening schedule that much. But I promise you, a few shows back, I we had this conversation about how much proprietary code base is hosted on GitHub. Yeah, okay. tons. Well, all the private repos on there. That. That that became a pretty big topic of discussion lately when Microsoft went from a Friday afternoon of, 
hey, there are rumors Microsoft might try to buy GitHub to like by Sunday morning, Microsoft has Saturday. bought GitHub. It was it was, was it, Saturday? it turned around in like twelve hours. Oh, it was crazy. Microsoft now, purchases GitHub. I loved all First the- off, all this all this speculation is stupid. Because everyone's like, Oh, I'm leaving you're, GitHub you're and stupid. moving to GitLabs. Yeah. It's like, I, yeah, you know who you know who's the VC for GitLabs? Well, I, Google. I, and I liked I liked a lot of the tweets that came out saying you're stupid to be concerned about that when you're you, you're giving access to your code base to all these other CI, CD, like all these other companies that you give access to your GitHub account. What do you care that Microsoft has access to it? Right. Well, I think the, I think the idea is that. Microsoft can there there's the perception that Microsoft would definitely have more of an agenda to in more resources to push to analyze code bases to to kind of get a sense of what's happening out there what's being built hmm. whereas like the CI tools they don't care they're, they're doing CI they're, they're not it's, there's no it's Google secret alter- why do you keep saying Google we're trying to have a conversation GitLabs. about the Microsoft equation acquisition of github and you keep throwing out google and GitLab. because the thing that people keep doing is saying well i'm going to leave i'm going to leave github and i'm going to go to GitLabs, which is google which is just the same giant company well, what do you, what do you mean is google google owns GitLabs? i don't think so they're the primary vc for GitLabs. Mm, they still don't own it i mean being a vc doesn't mean that you have access to to the hardware that that you're working with the code base. Well, Just you haven't watched Silicon given... Valley then, because Silicon Valley is about that entirely. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. I would really like to talk about GitHub and, and Microsoft. Go on. Go that's on. Okay. Um. So so the the thing that I struggle with, and I understand, I, I checked my bank account recently, and I realized I'm not a rich person, but. The acquisition was for like seven point something billion dollars in 7. stocks. Seven point five, yeah, yeah, in stocks, and you know, it, it's not. It wasn't a seven point five billion dollar cash transaction, but it was a seven point five billion dollars worth of worth from Microsoft. All right, <laughs> let's let's go with that. And the thing I struggle with is like, yeah, I'm just doing my math, and let, let's just say for a moment. Just say for a moment that that GitHub pulled down a billion dollars a year in revenue. Let's just—that's not even profit. Let's just say they they pulled down a billion dollars a year. That would take Microsoft over seven years to start to see a return on that. And I think we can all mm. say with a good deal of confidence that GitHub isn't pulling down a billion dollars a year. So, what? Help me out with this because I always struggle with this. It's like. Where is the return on investment on this for Microsoft? I don't the know. User base. Yeah, but the, Microsoft probably already has access to the user base. No, not at all. But what I mean, remember that <clears throat> remember that Twitter despite being worth billions is still running negative annually. This is exactly my point. This is exactly my point. It's like how how is it worth Microsoft spending 7.5 Billion dollars, billion with a B. That is so much worth. That is you get, so much. Now, okay. What do you? You're get? gonna, you're you gonna, you're nothing. gonna give me, you're gonna give me shit about this, but I gotta go back to Silicon Valley. I watched, I binged the latest season of Silicon Valley, which is about 
mergers and acquisitions for the first half of the season and why you do it. And the thing is, is that in purchasing GitHub, they don't just get the domain name and the source code and the servers. They get all of the employees Mm -hmm. who are very, very valuable. You've got the people who are the best of the best in redundant infrastructures with high rates of data being hit against it. They've, so they, you think so that, that that's not an unusual acquisition. So you think no. this was a talent a- a- acquisition? You, you think that which would be a terrifying thing to assume because typically with talent acquisitions, the product they're being acquired from kind of falls to the wayside well, because those that talent gets re distributed within the new company not necessarily redistributed it depends on how they decide to do things but remember that there's many aspects to what you get when you get a company like so the reason it was big news for everybody is because github has developed a brand over the last five six seven years that is incredibly valuable so if you want to brand something as github certified github authorized uh, github remote github desktop uh, all that stuff that brand is incredibly valuable entirely on its own let's make a note None of those are things. None of those <laughs> there, are things there is yet. No, right. But if Microsoft wants to sell a box that says, "Wait it's a minute," a so, local so you're, you're telling me you're going to sit here and tell me you're going to look me in my virtual face and tell me a uh, GitHub verified anything would hold, carry more weight than a Microsoft verified anything? GitHub by Microsoft might not carry more weight, but it will have no, no, a not GitHub by value. Microsoft. Not, 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 wait, not GitHub by Microsoft. You're, you're saying one of the benefits was that. They they they've acquired this brand, this name, this. That so so they can say GitHub Desktop or GitHub something is more valuable but than Microsoft, Microsoft has yeah. that, right? But they don't yeah. have that. They don't have that in the open source market. They are even though they're they're moving in on open source, they don't have that brand recognition for Microsoft. Oh yeah, those open source guys, and so they're buying brands that represent open source software. And they're, they're keeping those brands. Now, they're not renaming it from GitHub to Microsoft Hub or Git Microsoft or whatever, something stupid like that, because the brand has an inherent value in the community that says, this is open source, this is code bases, this is developers, this is not a marketing platform, this is a development platform. You know, GitHub has a reputation, and they're keeping that reputation. It's just being owned by Microsoft now, and Microsoft's going to move it in the direction they want to move it. So... If Microsoft decides they want to launch a competitor to Apache, then they'll launch it off the GitHub brand or something similar to that. And you you think that's worth $7.5 billion? I think that's part of it. That's step one. Step two is the employees. Step three is the technology. Step four is the hardware and back end. You know, they've got data centers that are just their data centers. End of day. End of day. How do you feel about this? John, John, you first. How do you feel about this acquisition? (laughs) So... Reading a lot of the things that are going on on Twitter, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, crap, I don't like this. Then I saw a lot of positive tweets about it in the fact that, again, like I said, we already trust a lot of our code to, to these third-party companies, so what's the difference with Microsoft? And then I was turned around again when somebody said, look at Skype. You know, Microsoft mm-hmm. buys Skype, and Skype is now horrible. I used to love using it. That's and it's my primary phone when I'm in my office because that's how I take calls, I make calls, and, and it's the things they've done to it recently are, are horrible. So I see both sides of it. I'm terrified of what they're going to do to it. Are they going to just let it go by the wayside? But at the same time, 
there's a good chance they may be able to pump resources into GitHub and make it much better. I, well, I, Skype was a Balmer project, too. That, that that was the Microsoft that was several years ago. I, it is not. But they they just they just went through a major revamp too. So you can't you can't continue to to play the Balmer card on that. Yeah, one. I mean it's there's still changes to it, and it's still being updated, and it, it's not getting any better. You know, some. Yeah. I mean, stupid things like I used to be able to hit a key combination and be right at the dial pad. Now I hit the key combination, the dial pad comes up, but then I have to go click in the stupid dial pad to <laughs> type in the numbers. That is frustrating to me. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. The whole thing with Skype is stupid. Yeah. And and something else happened with John. You and I tried to do something. And we're like, I have no no idea. How, which I think we tried to add somebody to a call. Well, it was like, no, we figured it out. It was just they changed it and made it way harder to do than so it used hard. to be. All right. What's your your thoughts on it, Thomas? I'm going to go with friend of the show, Michael Drinda here, and say that we have been talking for about a year now about the crazy things that Microsoft is doing, and it wasn't until a few months ago that I understood why Microsoft is starting to do this open source stuff, and it's the head of the development team right now, uh, Satya Nadella, and it's a completely different Microsoft than it was under Balmer. There is an embracing of open source, an embracing of Linux. They've teamed up with Docker. I feel like I say the same things every episode. It's, but It's funny you use that word, embracing. Um, we can circle back around on that. Go ahead. We will. I'm sorry. Oh, we What's will. I see a, a Unix or Linux-based Windows in the future. My guess is that it will be a server architecture first, running C Sharp or any of the other specific, you know, Microsoft specific languages, as well as the other Linux architectures that are available. I which we've we've been speculating on that for a while, yeah. And this is a step towards that, okay. where they so, can get people to start developing for the Microsoft platform on GitHub. I I wouldn't okay. at all be surprised if they had if there was a get this app button on GitHub soon that let you just download the latest version of some software. They don't want to get into the App Store game. They've tried it and failed, and that was, again, Balmer's thing. Balmer wanted an App Store. It failed miserably. Their sales were, uh, what, in the range of 5% of what they were on any other platform. So they released Gears of War and stuff like that exclusively on the Windows Store platform, and they didn't sell anything until they were released on Steam or GOG or other platforms. It just no one wanted it, no one used it. I think we're getting away from the proprietary kernel and getting into open source Microsoft, which if you look at how they're selling Windows now and how Mac sells uh, OS X, it, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to sell software anymore. It makes sense to support software. And owning GitHub is a big start in supporting software. Okay, so let's touch, let's unpack a couple of those things because you guys never ask me my opinion. So I'm going to go ahead and give it to you anyways. Uh, for starters, I, I agree with some of the things that you mentioned, Thomas. Um, I do think this is part of Microsoft's play to become more open source. Uh, the concerns I have... So first thing, there's there there's this fantastic historical 
memo from Microsoft about how they, they would destroy open source by embracing it, expanding it, and then eventually killing it. And there, there are those conspiracy theorists out there that says, this is it. This is Microsoft finally embracing open source so that they can kill it. I don't, I would like to think that's not the case. And I, I don't think that's the case, but here are the issues with what you said. The biggest one, and you've you've ranted a couple times about, oh, that was Bomber. This is, uh, what's his name? Who's running uh, it now? Satya Nadala. Satya. That was Bomber. This is Satya. Well, what happens when it's whoever after Satya? And they decide, no, we're going back to the Microsoft of old. Screw all this open source stuff we said we we're going to do. We're not making the billions of dollars we made when we started the internet. Well, that's so why that's why Satya and Nadala is in charge, is because Balmer almost tanked. You're not Microsoft. listening to me. You're not listening to me. This whole company construct, this whole, the the whole theory of the company has changed from one one CEO to another. Yes, there's been a paradigm and, and shift, and we're, and we're supposed to say, okay, this is great, life is fantastic, woo! You know, open source is is, is strong now, but what's to say that doesn't do, do a complete shift the next time? There's a turnover at Microsoft. Or what if this is used to say, okay, look what this guy did. He took us down this open source path. Microsoft stocks have, have plummeted. We're not making the money we made. We need to bring somebody else in here. What happens to these properties like GitHub? That, that's I, a good I, question. I want to well, be clear. Yeah, I, I want to be clear. I, I, do th- I don't think that they're doing anything to try to destroy open source today. I don't think that's their objective. I do think that their hearts are in the right place. They're trying to embrace Microsoft. Um, sorry, they're trying to embrace open source. But this is a large proprietary company that can pivot the entire ship. And it, and it might take a, a year or two, but they can they can do it. They've done it. Nobody would have ever thought when Balmer took over for Gates that he would have been out as, as quickly as he was, which might not have been quick enough for a lot of people, and then for the for the entire company to make this sort of shift. So you can't sit here today and tell me, well, there's no way it will ever shift back. No, no, I'm not saying it won't shift back. But but that is that is kind of what you're putting out there. That, that's I, kind of what you're putting. But wait a minute, I'm, I'm not done. No, hold on. You've had your 45 minutes of rambling about this. I get mine now. Here's my other we're issue. Only 33 with this. minutes. Here's my other issue with this. <laughs> this is very much. We're all fathers here we all have children this is very much your child your young child coming in the kitchen and seeing you cook and say hey you're cooking i can cook i can cook really well it's 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 the same concept it's microsoft it's even worse it's microsoft saying wow we're this huge company we've made a name for ourselves we we we've got power in this industry Hey, look at this open source stuff. We can do this. We can do this better than any of you. We're going to start doing. We're going to start doing open source, and they t- they're getting these these properties like GitHub, thinking we can do this so much better. We can we can help here. We can help. When in the reality of it is, maybe they can't. Like there was no reason for this for this acquisition to happen. There, I still stand behind the fact that I don't think that they're, they'll ever see a return on this GitHub acquisition from from what in thirty from, years. From revenue from GitHub, yeah, no, because there's going to be a cost. Because seven point five billion dollars, dude, they have to make seven point five billion over in expenses shares. 
well, in value. Let's say it, value. It's it's so, not so, real value. It's in shares. But, it's okay, not tax deductible. Okay, value. Whatever, Thomas. It's value. It, it, Microsoft's <clears throat> stock has to go up $7.5 some, billion. Dollars. They had that stock, so if they kept it, they had $7.5 billion. They gave... No. Right. It's it's value. What do you it's mean, It's value, though? Thomas. It's value, or, or GitHub wouldn't have done it. I'm, you Okay, yes, but you... If you have a stockpile like like what Microsoft has of your own stock, then you can't just dump it and liquidate it to cash. If you announced a liquidation of $7.5 billion in stock, you have to announce it weeks in advance. The market will tank the value of the stock, and Wait, you'll lose billions. Point. Please get to your point, Thomas. Okay. Are, are, you saying, are you saying it wasn't really $7.5 billion it's not really, in value? Yeah, it's, to Microsoft, it's not really $7.5 billion. It is. To GitHub... It is, but to Microsoft, it's not. To Microsoft, it is because they could put that seven five seven point five billion dollars worth of stock into GitHub or something else. It's still a value and, of seven point five. They got to put it into and, something. And there have been there have been reports now that the running cost of GitHub is hovering at about three hundred million dollars a year. So, a yeah, which is uh, something that Microsoft will immediately fix. Thomas. I, I don't know how I can have a conversation with you. But they'll run I, it I really on their don't. own server. How, how how can you make how can you just make that unilateral decision? Oh yeah, Microsoft will, will run it for less. They'll they'll make money off. You can't say well, cause, that because they're bigger. But if they're you're not bigger, doing it you now. Can... They're not doing it now. They didn't do it with their visual source, source safe. It's they they haven't. They've already failed at this. I love your passion. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that it's not just like they handed $7.5 million over and got the name and the code. <laughs> they've got the CEO, the CTO, the CFO. They've got all of the engineers. They've got all the hardware and software. You, you keep saying and that. They keep, that right. is a huge red flag. Because what are they, they going to do with it? They're going to just say, okay, you guys continue working on GitHub? No, yeah. if, it's a talent, yes. if it's a talent acquisition. No, because then it's not a talent acquisition. Then you're saying I didn't, you're no. You company. said it was a talent acquisition. I didn't say no, that. No, you, you. I said you, that. that you, I said that part of the deal that they're getting is incredible talent, but they're also but, able to fold but that in. That talent is worthless if you don't use them other places in your company. But you're also able to fold in operating expenses into your current operation, and okay, you also. Thomas. All right, Thomas. You're right. You're right. What, I don't know what point you're trying to make. You're right. Let's move on. My point is that it's not. It's it's seven point five billion dollars is a number that's very flashy for headlines, but is not really relevant to the transaction that occurred. I, I don't I don't understand that statement or or yeah. how that implies to any of the points that we we've been trying to make around, around some of our concerns. But whatever, okay. Well, uh, so if it's if it's go ahead. If you've got a thousand shares of stock and they're all valued at a dollar, and you give somebody. $500 worth of your stock, you don't need to make that $500 back. You need to value the company at an additional $500. So they may not make $500 the same way that Twitter might not make any money, but Twitter's value on the market in shares is billions. So GitHub doesn't have to make money for Microsoft to make money. GitHub has to add value to the shares. This is the this is our point. This is and, and this is what we've been saying. Do you are you saying that this GitHub acquisition is going to add over seven billion dollars of value to Microsoft? Probably. Uh, okay. But that's the we'll see. yeah. 
I, I'm, I'm clearly the all of the people who are in charge of Microsoft believe it to be true, and they're far more well educated and experienced than I am in this market. And I, I see what you're saying there. My my concern is, is it they have hundreds of billions of dollars? So seven point five billion is like a few bucks to us. Like I'm just gonna throw this money over here. It's still a lot of freaking money. And how does that? Oh yeah. How does it add to the the bottom line? I, but Microsoft wouldn't be doing it if they weren't going to get value out of it. If they didn't believe that there was a five, ten, or fifteen-year turnover for the fifteen for the for the seven point five billion dollars to stay the same, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens. It, yep. I mean, yeah, exactly, John. It's it's done now. Let, let's see what direction this goes in. I mean, that's let's, let's hope it's not we, Skype. We, we, <laughs> Yeah, and, and we, the good thing about it is, we there are alternatives out there. Right? I mean, whether it's GitLab, whether it's Bitbucket, which it's funny how little conversation I've seen around Bitbucket through all this. Every, everybody's talked about GitLabs, but they tweeted a congratulations you know, to the GitHub team. Yeah, definitely. Congrats to the GitHub team. I mean, if you can get that kind of money, why I... do you think they're going to see anything from this? You think they'll get some of that seven point five billion dollars? No, they still make the same paycheck they always make. Who? Get the the people at GitHub? The GitHub team. Yeah. No. Maybe, oh, they, they, get, no. maybe they get better no. health insurance now. No. They, they had, especially the core team, they had stock options in GitHub. So they're going to get a good return on but that. But Thomas has already said that those aren't really worth anything. What? I would guess I would guess like 150 of the core employees are going to see massive payouts on this. I mean, like the guy who painted the mural at Facebook. You know? Do you know that story, Eric? I, I don't know it. No idea what you're talking. About. There was when Facebook was starting up, they hired a well-known graffiti artist. They they made a joke about this in Silicon Valley. They hired a well-known graffiti artist to paint a mural in the office, and he said, "I don't want money. I want stock." And so they gave him like 200 shares or something like that, which meant that at the time that I read the story, the mural was worth 1.5 billion dollars. We we uh. Used to have as, our as, assuming he still had the stock, did, he did. Yeah. Thomas knows for a fact that he did. He just had there was a there was a documentary on it. We used to have our meetups at a place that did that. They hired a artist to come in and paint their office, and it was so cool. It, it, it was like it was like a it was like an art museum walking through that place. I, I love like that's one of those things. If we ever got to that level, I I would love to be able to splurge on. Was that UE? That in a yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That that it was just. I I I've always been such a fan of that, and I'm I'm sure. I don't know. Another ten years from now, we'll all look back and go, "Oh God, that was so tacky." But yeah, like, I I've always been a fan of like the really nice graffiti art. I, I already think it's tacky. <laughs> nah. Yeah, it's surprising you and I don't see eye to eye on something. <laughs> what? That's, that's amazing. I, I like just being here well, live to listen was... to you two go. A long conversation. Yeah, it's about it's, to get longer. Did you guys watch WWDC? Parts of it. Yeah, very little of it. Yeah, it was terrible. What? No, it wasn't, what? Thomas. It was awesome. They're a fantastic company. They're doing great things. So I know, I you, for can, what, I know you can't argue what? with me on this one. It was awful. Well, I don't care about yeah. it. I'm not a. I'm not a Apple developer. It was a developer. Yeah, thing. The, everyone keeps pointing that out. It's a dev- developer conference. You're not going to see much hardware. 
It's all the new OS stuff and, and nothing. What, what, the, the, anything in particular that you hated, Thomas? I'm sorry, John, I cut you off. No, I'm excited about the dark theme stuff. I'd like to see it when it comes yeah. out. Yeah, that was that was the whole thing. It's like the one thing everyone remembers is the dark theme mm. and the walkie-talkie. And what, what was the walkie-talkie? I missed that piece. Uh, the Apple Watch can now do um, PTT communication if you spend a long time setting it up and the other person has an Apple Watch. Yeah, that's that's always been one of the challenges with Apple products. I mean, yeah. even they're like iChat. iChat's great, but it only works if you live in the the Apple ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I have friends yeah. that are all about the i or what what do they call it? iMessage. And if you're not, yeah, iMessage. It, yeah. If you can't communicate with them, you're in the dark ages. I'm like, no, you can still use other things. <laughs> There's lots of other options. <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, it was they, just I mean, further I mean, further to, isolation to their, of the to their to their defense. They they've done a great job at if you live in our ecosystem, life it, you know life is a garden of Eden. Simple. And Microsoft tried that, and Microsoft failed. And Apple Apple's pulling it off, but there's a huge expense at doing that, and and there's a huge limitation to it. That's what kills me. It's like when they're talking about like a lot of these new features, especially around the iPhone like yeah that's that's not new that's that's so old it's you know it's i don't know yeah that was ignorance is bliss for apple users that was the thing that caught me is they basically their new version of their os caught up with winamp circa 99 Uh, i want to go that bad what are you talking about it was a dark theme and like people stood up and cheered People sit up and cheer because they're like, finally, it's here. And <laughs> they've been waiting for it for so long. Because a lot of the apps themselves just... are putting that in there. It's now I can have it in the OS itself. Like, across all my windows. And That is one of the things that I did notice about watching this. W... What is it? WWDC? Yeah. 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 Watching this one bothered me probably more so than watching any previous one. It's It's the equivalent of... The laugh track when you're yeah. watching a, a comedy, the the way people applaud is so on cue and so so much over the most minor things, and and this is me as a developer saying, well, no, that sounds small, but that's really huge. No, I mean that's nothing. Why why is everybody clapping about that? It's like, oh, uh, you know, look, my phone unlocks with my face. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. It's been doing it. That that's not even a new feature. That it's already been doing that. You know, it, oh, it's I the 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 clapping at at the the WWDC. Not only is it irritating, but it sounds so staged. It's like yeah, it doesn't even sound like general excitement anymore. It's just just like the State I, of the I, Union. I, almost <laughs> same thing. Yeah, like like somebody's flashing an applause sign and people just start clapping. Because the applause sign starts going. We, we need that weird. on the show. <laughs> we need something on the show. <laughs> John, you have a story for us that you, you almost told us after the show last week. Uh, and we had to tell you not to tell us the story. I have no clue what you're talking about. So that you could you could tell us this week. Oh, You brought right, down so some you, database servers? You... I did. <laughs> That's what I heard. Were you high? <laughs> I mean, that's nothing. That's nothing new for him. So, this the the funny thing last week was 
all of a sudden everything shut down on a client site and I had no clue why. And it turned out it was because they were using proxy SQL and they had rules set in place to send certain queries to replica servers, which is great. You know, like let's send these slow queries that usually happen on the, the master server over to replica two, because it's on SSD. That's their use case. What I didn't take into account was in some testing I was doing, I'm like, I'm going to store some information into a database. And in that temporary database, I was storing the, uh, some other SQL queries. Those SQL queries matched proxy SQL. So it would send the insert that was supposed to go to the master over to a replica. And after a handful of those, everything stopped because replication stopped as IDs mismatched. So if you don't understand my MySQL replication, you insert on the master, it goes to the, the slaves or the replicas getting the same IDs. What was happening in this case, I'd do an insert, not thinking of it, because of the way he was doing query matching, it matched the query that I was storing within the same record sending it to a replica and doing the insert actually there. So a few, a millisecond later, when it got a, the same ID replication stopped and over a course of a few minutes, replication stopped on all the replicas. So the queries that were being forced over to the replicas failed because the data wasn't there. Everything just stopped working. Fun times. Wow. Yeah. That's not, that's, that's not fun. Lesson learned. Don't store queries in your records. UUIDs helped you there? No. Not at all. Because it's hard to explain. It's the record IDs. Yeah, if, the way MySQL does, does syncing, it has these individual record IDs that are not tied to the Actually, column. no, you're right. You're right. UUIDs may have helped in, in that case. You're right. Thank you're right. You. I, That's exactly why I asked if UUIDs would have helped, Thomas. Yeah. Whatever. Everyone knows UUIDs are obsolete. UUIDs would have helped, although I would have have had orphan data, but in this case it was a temporary table. I didn't care. Like I just deleted the records off the replicas and said no big deal. But you're right. UUIDs in that case would have helped. Yeah. Yeah, so we're working on a pretty big project. It's a it's a greenfield app and we we I'm using UUIDs all over the place and of course, you know, the team is the team is getting nervous about it. Um, you know, I'm I'm actually getting a little nervous about it as why, well. Why is because, that? I mean, I don't, the 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 same concerns that we 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 had the conversation when we started this project. So I'm kind of rehashing. I, I don't know if we did it on air or not, but the overhead of a UUID, uh, you know, the the extra indexing of UUIDs, and I don't know. I'm just getting getting nervous about it. You know, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, we'll see if. You read these articles about how how UUIDs will will bite you in the butt um, if you're not careful, which I get that. And again, the the argument can be made with not using UUIDs, like like the issue you have with just using normal incremental numbers. You know that can bite you in the butt. So there's some. It's always a trade-off on risk, and I don't know the, the 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 one that keeps haunting me is the um, is the. Uh, don't use uh, Varkar 36, which is which is what a UUID 
is typically stored if you're using it as a primary key. Um, and Why is that? The issue I have with that, uh, because yeah, again, that. it it has to do with the overhead of of the indexing um, and how much how much space it takes. Uh, I think you know the, we're we're geeks and. When we talk about this stuff, we do have a tendency to talk about the extremes of it. It's like, oh right. yeah, if you ever reach Facebook status, your 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 database is going to cripple. So I'm kind of leaning on that. Like, okay, I don't think we're ever going to be big enough where that that's going to be a huge problem. But it's like in the back of my head because it's such an important element of the record itself. It's not easy to change. <laughs> I mean, if we decide five years from now that UUIDs are killing us, that's a hard switch to make. But that's and why that, they're that's why they're generated the way they are now though. With using what do you mean? <clears throat> UUIDs generally use date and timestamp information to generate their unique ID. Yeah. And No, it has that, nothing to do with it has nothing to do with uniqueness. It's no no, no I know. I'm, <clears throat> I'm saying that oh. the reason that they do it that way is because when you break the VAR chart down into binary and then you index the binary values which my which which my should be doing mm -hmm. then it creates a very well-ordered list that's that's searchable just as well as incrementing ids are hmm. it shouldn't it shouldn't have that overhead anymore if you're using a modern method for i remember older method for uuid generation which was random characters and that's not the way it's done anymore because of this because of this indexing issue is that now when you create UUIDs they are incrementally indexed because of how they're generated mm. I, so, I hope you're right because I'm all in on UUIDs and, and I, I'm still a fan but but yeah I, I'm, I'm very a lot a lot of this a lot of this Greenfield app are kind of my my work my patterns my thoughts my implementation so I I, I I'm very concerned about things not working, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, five, 10 years down the road. But I mean, again, we're all in on UUIDs. They're, they're in this Greenfield app all over the place. Like the, the kind of the direction developers have is explain to me why this shouldn't be a UUID and, and we can talk about it. Otherwise, the IDs need to be UUIDs. Uh, interesting I thing that, that I did. The interesting thing that I did read, and I would like your YouTube's opinion on this. One of the reasons why I wanted a UUID was because I I, I like that method of um, if you have to expose an identifier, or, like in a URL or something. I definitely like. The UUIDs as opposed to something that can be incremented through. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm perfectly comfortable with throwing a UUID in a URL. And you still shouldn't do that. You should hash it first. Okay. So and that's what I read. Some somebody said just because it's a UUID, don't think you can expose that to yeah, the public. Yeah, because they're not they're not truly random anymore. Like I said, with that with the use of the date information in there, they lost their randomness, but they gained their indexability and some behavioral predictability. Hmm. So okay. I'm not overly concerned about randomness because it, I mean, it, they don't it's, have it's, to be random. Not necessarily secure, but it's better than an incremental ID. In, in, yeah, in, it's it's better for like the the couch hacker, but for the government hacker, 
it means it's it's a very small speed bump for them. I'm the couch hacker. I it, in previous lines of work, I I hit competitions websites because I realized oh all I have to do is pass an order ID into here and I can get all the information about orders on their site. Oh yeah. So yeah. and then I would just scrape and figure out how we were doing compared to them over time. Yeah, and you the thing is UUIDs aren't a whole lot better for anonymity or for that sort of guessing patterns thing than incrementing IDs are at this point. You just don't get the data quite as quick. Yeah. You you can still get yeah, the data, as, but not as quick and and if you use it for scenarios where I want something to to be secure across a line, I'm doing communication with a a third party right now and we definitely don't want them having our user IDs. So we have to have some way of generating a hash and we're still using incrementing IDs internally, but externally we don't use them at all. Um, are you using UIDs externally or are you doing something? We're generating a hash. We're just, we're just making something up and then tying it to the record. That is pure, pure random characters. Hmm. Um, Interesting. But with, with our business and with our likelihood of getting hacked, we get attacked I would say 150 times a day. I just wouldn't feel comfortable. I bet, I bet it's more than that. But yeah. No, I have a graph. No. It, it's it's roughly 150 times a day on average, um, because for some reason people think we run WordPress. But uh, I just I, I I would never be comfortable exposing an ID or a UUID. I would have to hash something. I mean the ar- the argument I have with with exposing UUIDs. You know, is in the edge case that that a database does get compromised. No, that's not even a good argument because it's still it's the same even with the incremental IDs. I I still I still don't see a huge risk with exposing UIDs. You're claiming that people can still increment, not increment, but can still guess guess through iterate, yeah, yeah, iterate through UIDs. Um, I mean, you're gonna. I I don't know how it works. So I'm making an assumption that based on date and time, you you have a range and you're still incrementing, but you're going to get a lot of not founds at this point. And then you're going to, you'll hit, get a hit and then a lot more not founds and then a hit if you're trying to do incre- incrementing IDs. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing yeah, is, it, is that... it, it seems, it seems like you can help just by implementing other methods of security. You, you could probably catch a lot of that. It gets tough all right so let me throw another thing past you guys this is another thing i'm struggling with this is another decision that i made that i've kind of gone all in on and i'm happy with but it's one of these decisions that i have to keep talking my developers off the edge on because it's a struggle to wrap their heads around and i recently have recently come to an epiphany of oh shit this might be a problem in the future but it's polymorphic tables uh does Mm. before i explain to listeners who might be listening do you guys understand what polymorphism is when it comes to database relationships yes yes okay so for those who are listening and you guys are more than welcome to jump in and tell me if if my understanding is incorrect but a polymorphic table is basically when you you're working with a relational database and typically the relation the relationships are pretty one-to-one you know, a user has an address, whatever. an email address. Um, yeah, an, ad- an address. Yeah, that's that's perfect. A user has an address. A user has a phone number. 
um, and the the way you manage this is is pretty can be pretty weird because like okay maybe the user had can have four phone numbers or something weird like that. Well, what a polymorphic table allows you to do is it allows to have multiple relationships. So a user can have an ad address, a company can have an address, a you know whatever can have an address, and instead of creating a company address table, a user address table, a whatever address table. You just create an address table, and you set it up so that you're able to understand, oh, this address belongs to a user, this address belongs to a company, and that's how you do it. And there's a, there's a lot of ways of doing this traditionally with databases. That's a pretty simple example. Sometimes people put address type, uh, you know, which is another approach, but that has a lot of limitations to it as well. The idea behind polymorphic is you never know in the future what you might need to attach an address to. So with a polymorphic relationship, you have that flexibility. So I've been pretty all in with polymorphic tables for the Screenfield app. And it's, again, one of these things I have to talk through with the developers to kind of get their heads around it because it's not clear cut. Because what's weird is like on the user table, there's no address ID. Like you, if you were to look at the user table, you would know that there's a relationship between the user table and the address. But there shouldn't be. There was no address, right. And and there's so you just know that you can go to an address table and, and see. But it, see but it, yeah, but I think on the address table you don't see a user ID. I think that's what you really meant there. You go to the address table, you don't know that it goes to a user no, no, ID. No. no, that's that's actually not true. It's actually just the opposite. You you do know that because if you look at the address table, you see that there is a user model and a user mm -hmm. ID associated to that record. Right. But if you're on the user table, you don't you don't see that relationship. Which you you shouldn't normally because those should be one to many relationships. It shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be a one to one relationship. So that's that's not my concern. Mm -hmm. um, let me explain to my, my concern. And I know John, your your Jedi powers with the sequel is strong. So I'm kind of leaning heavily on you. Um, the thing that I came I came to the realization to today is as our database gets bigger. And as developers, we're constantly going directly into the database and doing database queries of, okay, you know, let's stick with the addresses. Addresses is super simple. It might even be a bad example for what we're talking about here, but now, let's, let's stick with addresses. I, I want to get specific here for one thing. Are you talking about eloquent model polymorphic or are you yes. just talking about generally polymorphic databases? I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking specifically about eloquent model. Okay, that's that's important because eloquent does things in a specific way. But it's still yeah. polymorphic tables. I don't know the difference. It there. is, but it uh, the type points to a an exact instance of a, a class. Well, hmm. It won't be relevant relevant with my concern. That yeah, maybe you guys can help me with as developers. We're constantly going in. So, like again, with the with the address with the uh, address situation, um, this might be a bad example, but we will look up. We will we'll do raw SQL queries of you know looking things up um, directly into <clears throat> the database without going through code bases, without going through models. Mm -hmm. And I'm really concerned by by removing that model layer that I I'm handicapping I'm handicapping users in the future uh who need to are not users developers in the future who might need to do raw sql queries nah. no so for not example, at all no, no? It's, just, yeah. it's just another where clause where you put the model name in the where clause and not even that you're using your uuid so 
assuming there's no clashes, there's no issue anyway. Mm. UIDs are supposed to be unique to the to the table only. They're not supposed to be unique to all objects. In theory. In no, I just no. I just read this to, I just read this today. You, UIDs you, don't. You have to share that. Yeah, because UID stands for unique universal identifier i mean it's it's literally the name <laughs> yeah it's supposed to be unique across but, everything not a single table and, and as a matter of fact the uh the I, I create like the way it gets created uh through laravel it's it's not i mean you you can say it's unique to the model but it's not unique by the to the table because the my sequel isn't creating the uid yeah no i know either way what, just, okay. what, what I, Thomas I said isn't, saying... isn't wrong. You can add the the type into your where clause and you're good. Okay, so that that's one of the things I thought about, but how does that work? Because the type that's being captured is the model, but that model doesn't necessarily translate word by word to a table. It, yeah, it does. No, In Eloquent, it does. No, it, The model name no, is the table name. Not necessarily. Maybe the way you... You can override it. But by default, Laravel has a list of the plural forms of all the single words that models are, and yeah, it uses but, that for the table but, name. But but what gets stored is the full model path. It's not yeah. users. It's slash app slash, in my case, slash app slash models slash user. Yeah, so as long as you know it's user, it doesn't matter what the table name is. When you're doing your join, you join to users or prefix underscore users or whatever. You do but, your join, but again, but again, you're making the assumption you know what table you're joining to. You, you yeah, have if they're doing raw SQL, I would assume that they have to know that. Yeah, I that's true. If you're if you're joining to the users table, you so, have to know so that the users model is should, model users. Be worried about it. Not at all. No, I do it all the time. Now mm-hmm. I regret it. I don't. I every time I do polymorphic stuff, I regret it. Why? Because I don't. I don't like any of the use cases. The the classic use case is sharing media. Is it a photo or is it a video? Videos have different attributes than photos do, but they have shared attributes, but they deserve their own model because they have a uh, runtime and uh, encoding type and stuff like that. And to me, it's just like, if I have a media model and I ask it for the runtime, and there's a chance that there's no such column on the model that I'm using, then I'm doing something wrong. Like, it's it's either fixing a problem that's not really a problem, or it's creating a new problem. Hmm. Um, I could understand, you know, where where polymorphic stuff comes from is in complicated objects in high-level languages. Uh, C++ and stuff like that. That's where all the polymorphic stuff comes from. Uh, PHP has polymorphic classes, but they're not nearly as powerful as most other compiled languages. And P- they're used for very... Wait, PHP has polymorphic stuff or Eloquent does? PHP does. What am I missing there? Um, I'm, getting, I'm getting to it. So the thing is, is that polymorphism works really well in an environment where you have... Um, inherited types where you have uh, abstract classes that are being defined by interfaces and all of the abstract classes share interfaces and have relationships to that interface that always respond to the same types and things like that where 
really complex scenarios. Um, applying polymorphism to database models to me, it just seems like you're either trying to get rid of a pivot table that you shouldn't get rid of, or you're trying to squeeze everything into one table that shouldn't be squeezed into that table. Um, and, and every time... I, I, I disagree with both, both those. Both FYI. Every time I use polymorphics uh, in, in my SQL, I feel like all I did was eliminate one uh, pivot table. Mm-hmm. That, and that's fair. it causes me... And it causes me well, no, not far one, more problems one per than relationship. It was worth. Yes, right, because because again, yeah, one per relationship. Yes, that that would be a fair statement. Yeah, yeah, and I very rarely do a polymorphic for more than three different types. So it's um, all I've done is eliminate two see, pivot tables. See, see, to me that seems beneficial. It seems like you you keep the database cleaner. Data integrity seems stronger. I don't know. It's never right. felt like it for me. I've I've done it yeah. probably ten well, times. I'll let you know. Ask me ask me in about a year or two how I feel about polymorphic tables, and I'll, <laughs> I'm sure I'll have opinions for yeah. you. <laughs> the, the the example that comes to mind that I actually use it in is tags, where you can set you can tag users, you can tag folders, you can tag other data, but you only want to have one tag, and each tag goes can apply to different elements within the system. Sure, but if you're if you're not using an interface for your models that are that are members of the polymorphic relationship, then you're going to accidentally call on a non-existent property of an object. You will. I haven't had that issue yet. Okay, so I, ha- I have another development question for you now. You also have to use instance of all over the place. This, this is almost like we're, we're actual developers talking through problems here. Um, yeah, so like I said, Feel free to ask me about polymorphism in about two years and see if my opinion has changed. But so I'll tell you, I'll give you, I'll give you a tip though. I need to give you a tip. You're going to use if you use polymorphics, you're going to use switch instance of variable, and you're going to have case photo, I'm, I'm case video, case MP3. You'll see that uh, in all your templates. Not, not no, not not so much now the way I'm using it. Yeah, I haven't seen. Um, that. Uh, I'll ask you in a year. Yeah, yeah, feel free. Be- because the, the 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 implementation we have, the cases are so dramatically different that they 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 don't really overlap that much. Currently. Then why are they being polymorphically joined together? If they're so different, then why are they being related yeah, to each other? That, that's a good question. And, and Ted Nugent in our chat is bringing up a good point that you're taking referential integrity out of the database at that point. So in the case of an address, you delete a user you're not going to be able to delete all of their ancillary data. Right? You're not going to... Why, why not? Because because you have the user ID. Why why wouldn't you be able to? My, matter of fact, the database itself is not going to take care of it because you don't have foreign keys on that. Oh, and, and you know what? And, and again, this might be why it's making it easier for me. I, I thought about that scenario, John. And with using UUIDs, it, it actually becomes much simpler because... I don't have my polymorphism. Uh, that's that's not the like I, I have a way of establishing that relationship outside the polymorphism because since I since the polymorphism is capturing those UUIDs, if all I have is a UUID, I can say okay, find every record related to this UUID in every table. So How does that work? If I delete, if I use very poorly using the. So right, yeah, right it now, definitely wouldn't be optim- yeah. optimized way of doing right. It. But using foreign keys, 
I can delete from my user table, and because of cascading deletes, it deletes all of the all of that user's data. With polymorphism, you can't do that. That's true. You can't use cascading deletes. You you are correct. No, you have to put the cascade into the delete action of your model. Right, right, and that 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 kind kind of comes Which... back to what I said. The user table has no understanding of a address ID or anything like that. So. Which is what Ted which is what Ted is saying. Ted is saying that you're taking that burden off of the database and putting it into the code. Right. Right. So, and and I agree I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But again, using UUIDs, I, I, I still have another avenue of doing that. So I, I do agree. Um hmm. so going back to Thomas's point, if you only have two or three of those types of relationships, you're saving two tables instead of having a user address table, a location address table, and I don't know some other address table. You, you just you and, just want them all in addresses. And because right. I'm the database expert here, I'll tell you. But, but it's more table than columns that have frequently stored the same data. So image, 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 video, 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 image, video, image, video. Those tables index very, very, very poorly. If you're always storing one of two values very poor indexing especially on a string which is the way eloquent does it right and, and i don't want to get in too much detail around around this application but the the other thing with polymorphism is yeah you're right if, if all you have are two or three data types you're saving two or three pivot tables but then you know then you have to add a fourth or fifth or sixth data type and now you have to add a fourth or fifth or sixth pivot table and and there's there's that whole scalability in the future again not getting into too much information about the application i'm working on but I, I foresee that as being more of the challenge of, okay, we have this new thing here that needs these properties. It needs an address. It needs a phone number. It needs uh, a product. It needs this. It needs that. And that one ad added thing all of a sudden tr translates into 10 pivot tables without polymorphism. Yeah. Sounds like so, you need JSON objects. Well, that's interesting you say that. That's another... I, I, another thing I've been working on implementing, but that's another story, and and not what I want to get into. <laughs> so, and so, I knew that uh, before I said it, which is why I said it. Yeah. So so yeah. I, I mean, you know, we're, we're trying to be very basic here with our discussion around users and addresses, but you know, it gets a lot more complex as you start to talk into some of the edge cases that like we're working in in, in the requirements. Okay, so so the other thing I want to bring up, and I, the reason I bring this up is because I saw it coming up, come through a Twitter stream. A Adam Wathen mentioned it, and it kicked off this whole, um, it kicked off this whole conversation on Twitter. I'm like, wow, you know, this is kind of a conversation we've had in the past, uh, a challenge that we've addressed, with a little bit of a of a twist on it, and it has me thinking down this road again and, and I'd like to talk through it, through it with you guys. So what Adam Wathen starts to talk about is he says, what's the best way to build a view spa with a Laravel backend? And he, he's, uh, the, the, the just of, of the tweet is, should this be a single Laravel application with all the spa stuff in the existing resource or should the, should the, because because it's view, should the view piece be a separate application from the back end? And this led into other conversations of, you know, yeah, we do it this way because it allows our front end guys to have their repo and the back end guys to have their repo. And 
we we kind of have gone down this path before when we talked about these API driven architectures, which is something we flirted with and and kind of implemented poorly a few years back. Whereas, okay, API, you know, the idea behind an API driven architecture is you just create all these little separate APIs and everything's a separate uh, repo. Uh, this is kind of the same thing. Is okay, your front end is a different repo. It's a different application. That code is not intermingled with your backend code, which in you know in this case, in in our case, would be a Laravel application. Um, thoughts, opinions. I mean, I, I kind of see the validity of both currently for, for our, our application. So we're we're taking this approach where our front end is a spa. It is a view driven spa, a Vue.js driven spa, and our back end is Laravel. Um, we've we've mashed it all up into the same repo. But what the, the arguments that are being made here make a lot of sense to me. Um, thoughts, opinions? So what, are, what did they say the benefits are? Being able to deploy faster? I, I, th I think, I, think I, I didn't read through all the uh, tweets. Um, I do think uh, deployment dis did factor into it. It, it allowed the front-end guys to, to do things in their repo and to deploy, like you said, on a more regular basis without impacting or potentially impacting or even having the concern of impacting any of the backend code. Um, but I, I think a lot of it got around to just, you know, the front-end people can work on their front-end piece, the backend people can work on the backend piece. And I, I realize this, this doesn't apply to all of us. Some of us kind of do everything, so we just keep it all together. But... You know, we're talking like a, a bigger, maybe a bigger project here. Yeah, it's going to come down to the developers you have. Do you have a separate front-end team from your back-end team? In that case, it makes sense. But if you have good processes in place of deploying code, of first merging, reviewing, merging, and deploying code, does it really matter if you're deploying the back-end code if it hasn't really changed? Or are they trying to prevent yeah, front-end I mean, developers from changing back-end code? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll paste this in Slack. I'm sorry, I should have I should have done that before I started having this conversation, so you guys could have seen the the tweets. But yeah, I remember you, seeing you it. You see that that is this this that was actually one of the first conversations. Uh, one of the people who posted Sam uh, Slickoff, which is an awesome last name, uh, says some of the trade-offs, of course. Have to, having to deploy two applications. Um, he brings up E2E testing is harder, and then testing is harder. Yeah, I guess I can see that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of in the mindset of, yeah, keep it all as one application. I mean, the only argument I could possibly see with this is, and this would apply to a big company, of course, I've actually worked through this scenario in the past is when they want to iterate or do a complete revision change of a front end and they want to, they have a team working on a new front end and having to rip out that old front end and put in the new front end can get messy and, and, ha and typically does get very messy if it's all the same repo, if it's completely separate repos and you know, you're just, the front ends are just taking advantage of API endpoints Somebody spins up a new front end, it tests, it works, it goes, and you don't have to worry about it. I mean, that that's one of the arguments I see for it. But that is such, seems like such a, how, how often, 
how often are you going to say, okay, we don't want to... Well, I guess we just went through this, actually. <laughs> Shit. I was going to say, how often do you say... Do you all, do you get done with the project and you say, okay, we don't want View anymore. We want to go to jQuery. Uh, <laughs> actually, we, just, yeah. we, we, we recently went through that. <laughs> Nightmares. Um, yeah, and, and it was a pain. And that was, that, that was another example of, you know, that was a pain because... It was so embedded in the code base, and you had to pull all this stuff out, and you had to make sure you pulled it all out because otherwise, even if it's not being used, it's a point of confusion um, for developers in the future. It's like, hey, why is this view component in here? Where is this being used at? So it makes for a very unclean um, uh, repo. Uh, yeah, I mean, but that, but but again, that's the only kind of scenario where I I see kind of a, a real benefit to it, but. I don't know. That's why I thought I would ask you guys. Yeah, I'm I'm still all in favor of keeping it together. Just put the proper processes in place. But that's be- that that's because I'm a, a jack of all trades. I do a little bit of everything. Yeah, and, and I think that that really factors into this a lot. Is uh... oh, I did have this in my show notes. Oh, I'm sorry. You guys sh- I should have just moved that over. Boom. Yeah, that that conversation piece. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I get that. I, and yeah, this seems like, uh, yeah. Again, if if you're if you're using, you know, offshore development or uh, if you don't have an in-house development team, there could be some arguments, you know, being made of, hey, I don't even want my front-end team to see my back-end. I don't even want them to know how it works. I just want them to interact with API endpoints. Yeah. Well, I will move us on from that. Because I don't think there's going to be a well, good answer for it. I have to say, I heard about this, this the spa stuff and splitting up into multiple repos mm-hmm. in, I believe, 2014. And you know who I think told me about it? Adam Waven? I believe it was Wave PHP speaker Jesse Decker. Mm-hmm. I like how you worked that in there. Wave PHP happening mm-hmm. in September, September nineteenth through the twenty first here in San Diego. Buy your tickets today. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, split it up into two parts, front end versus back end. Um, oh, are al- you? Allow something like Apiary to run the sort of intermediary, so uh, both components look at Apiary. One of them hits Apiary as an API and does its API based testing. The other one hits Apiary as a provider. And gets provider-based testing. But, I like that kind of organizational technique. Yeah, that makes sense for development. But we're talking about where do you store the code? Does the code go into two different repos, or is it stored all together? Yeah, I don't see why not two different repos. And they they they're very easily. I mean, if if you're looking at View and Spa, then you're definitely looking at something that is a standalone application outside of Laravel. View is not intended to speak to Laravel a whole lot. Um, it's supposed to get everything dynamically, and I think that organization method helps keep that abstraction the way it should be. I guess I just haven't seen a, so, a big application that takes advantage of that, and I haven't been involved in a in the deployment process of that. So, is your at that point are you putting it on two different domains or subdomains where you're hitting diff, an API somewhere else, or is your deployment process? basically just smushing the two code bases together in the same host. All I can say is the place I've seen this is in non PHP development. 
I see it in JavaScript development and like plugins for Chrome and stuff like that, where there is a code base as well as a front end that are two separate entities running on different systems. Mm-hmm. Um, React is very, very popular in the plugin coding world. And you can see a lot of applications that use React in its own project folder, but within the same Git repository, separate from the node code that's running the backend portion. Hmm. I would I would develop spa apps in the same way. I, I, I just want to throw something out there. You know we're having a great show when we're an hour twenty seven minutes into recording and john is still moving cards over yeah i was it's but like, i was about to this say must be a, <laughs> this must be a good show john john wants to keep talking we, we must have a good show going yeah, I, I was about to say something about that like we're running really long but th- this next one we were came up i think last episode where we were talking about how uh echo device was listening in on a couple that was having a fight or something and sent their conversation to uh, a contact of theirs and of course that right and the media blew the story out of proportion oh, extremely and my, my wife was commenting on it on facebook and saying tell me how scary it was and i understand the concern but you got to go back to the the sequence of events that happened and it sucks every time ever since then i mean we we have a couple of echo devices in the house and we'll just be sitting there on the couch watching tv and say something and all of a sudden the blue ring lights up and she looks at me, she's like, it's listening. And like, okay, that's the part that has been freaking me out lately. The, the fact that it just kind of starts spinning, like I'm listening to you. I have always operated under the subconscious assumption that, that, yeah, we know that we've got these eavesdropping devices. Um, but when they, they only operate when they hear, hear a trigger word. And when they hear a trigger word, it sounds off a sound, it displays lights, and it waits for an action to be told to it. Mm-hmm. But it... And this latest, this latest news discloses that that's not how it works. That Facebook has dozens of trigger words in the application, and when the, when the trigger words occur, it takes different actions... Oh, oh. But none of them notify the user. Right. Well, we haven't even gotten to the story yet because we're, we're talking specifically about the Echo devices last time. And I think Eric even pointed out we've been carrying cell phones in our pocket for years and they have microphones and we haven't thought twice about it. And now it's coming out. And I think you guys even did a test with bikinis or something where you were. Yes. And, and bathing suits. Yeah. And we did it wrong. We did it wrong for sure because I saw how it's, it was done correctly. There was this the article you're referencing. This guy did it correctly, mm-hmm. and it's terrifying. Okay. Nice. Well, and and John, John, were you on the phone? Were, were you on the phone? <laughs> were you on the show uh, when I talked about our experience in Vancouver and and the houseboats? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So that that was that was one of those cases that, to bring that, people up. I, I don't know what show. That was the one before we talked about. You started talking about you were going to do a week or two where you're talking about bathing suits, right? No, no, that was no, no. After. This was recently. Oh. He wasn't on the show when we talked about the houseboat oh, thing. Then no, he was. He was not. Oh, that holy was just smokes. me and you. Okay, so John, why don't you talk about your your story because we, we've been kind of talking over there, and then I'll recap the houseboat story too. To... Oh, I'm done. Uh, Thomas was taking it over there. Okay. He, he was talking about the the phones and 
how it's come out that we you guys did the test wrong right so so as you recall uh the the whole idea was that your phones are always listening facebook specifically will will customize ads based on conversations it picks up or, or this was a theory conversations it hears whether it's being triggered or not if you just have facebook on your phone it would do that and john we we on the show we 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 tried a test. We all launched the Facebook app, and we had a conversation. And I, I felt like it was in the middle of winter, but we had a conversation about needing to buy bathing suits. It was and, in the middle of winter. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the idea was we would watch our Facebook stream to see if we started to see ads about bathing suits because it was a very weird conversation for us to have. We all agreed that we never had ads about bathing suits in our Twitter stream. And so it seemed like a valid test. And you know, as as Thomas said, he might have found some flaws with our testing me- me- method, and we never said it was a scientific test. <laughs> so, so that doesn't. But end of day, we never saw bathing suit ads. Right. How, however, and this is to bring you up to speed, John. I recently went to Vancouver and had a fantastic time. I love that place up there. Gorgeous, gorgeous. I I, I so wish I could find a have a reason to live up there for three or four months i, I don't now, know if now I you're going to start seeing ads for vancouver i don't know if i want to live up there through the winter but uh, i would love to live up there for a while but anyways my wife and i were walking around and um she she just so happened she got on facebook and uh she was posting something and we were walking past these houseboats and i said wow how much do you think it costs to live on one of these things? And we start talking about these houseboats, which are, you know, these homes that live on the water. If, if you live in some landlocked country, you don't know what I'm talking about. But they're, they're, they're actually, they're not houseboats that you typically take out. They're, they're actually full-fledged homes that, that are on water. And we started talking about it. And that night, we get back to our room. That night, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm catching up on work. And my wife goes, oh, how weird is this? I'm like, what? She goes, there's a Facebook ad on here on cost for houseboat houseboat homes in San Diego where we live. <laughs> and I turned around and looked at her. I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, did you search for houseboats when you were on Facebook? She goes, why would I search for houseboat homes on Facebook? And I'm like, let me see the ad. And she showed it to me and... There was an ad on her phone, on her Facebook feed, about buying houseboat homes in San Diego. And I freaked the fuck out. <laughs> so, wait. She had Facebook open when you were talking about this? or Yeah. So, yeah. so we, we were walking. I, I remember it very... I, I remember it very specifically. We were walking along the water and there, in Vancouver. There, there, we were on this... Um, I forget what it's called. Some island or something. And there was there were all these beautiful homes, and she was checking her Facebook feed as we we're walking, and we're having this conversation about houseboats. Yeah, I, I can I can verify she was on Facebook because I remember seeing her on Facebook. Yeah, and as we we're having that conversation, end of day, we give we it, give apps so much access to our devices. They they pop up and say, "Hey, can I have access to your contacts?" And so often we say yes. Lately, I've been downloading. You know, just stupid games just to play for a few minutes here and there. And they want access to pictures and, and location. It's like, no, no. But how many people just say, 
Okay, you must need this. Yes. Oh, there, and, the, and then the then the damn app won't work. It's like, well, you know, I can't show you this pretty picture of a cat if you don't tell me your location. Right. It's like, wait, what? What? What the hell are you so, talking about? Okay, let me jump into that because that is my article here. Um, that is a an API called Alfonso. They pay companies to be included in their games, applications, et cetera, et cetera. It requests location access and microphone access. And it uses, supposedly uses this access to listen to what television ads you're watching to try and identify what show you're watching, to try and identify your demographic, to present ads that are demographic specific to you on Facebook and the games and other things like that. Um, but this is not open source or even audited software. It could be tracking everything that's being said and sending it to the end users uh, to, or to the, to the servers. Uh, it's really crazy stuff. And to go further into John's article here, Facebook, there was a recent large leak about what data Facebook is selling. And then there was this one, this one guy who realized that the Facebook algorithm is using keywords the same way uh, home devices, echo devices, all those are using it. So we did our experiment and we said bathing suit, bathing suit, bathing suit, stuff like that. But what these algorithms are actually looking for is people saying in a conversation to someone else, hey, you know what? I'm thinking about going back to college. And so it hears the, hey, you know what I'm thinking about, and then it tries to listen in for something it can target. Yeah. Well, to our defense, Thomas, we did have a conversation around bathing suits. We didn't just say bathing suit. We just, hey, we said something exactly along that lines. Hey, right. you know, we need, to, we need to think about getting bathing suits. Now, again, our, our issue there was that it was the middle of winter, and we weren't which, at a mall or something. Which would have made it weirder. So the second prong of the way that these systems work is that they use location data in combination with the spoken data. So if you're at the mall at a swimsuit store, then it will start targeting swimsuit ads. Mm -hmm. Or if you're at a coffee shop and you're talking mm -hmm. about going to community college, then it will take it more seriously than if you're sitting at home. Um, mm -hmm. If you're at Petco and start talking about cat we food the, we, then it cares about yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's using this location data in combination with the voice data to do these identification patterns and then along with all of the other data that it's scraping from websites because the Facebook pixel is on every single website now so anytime you look at something on the web Facebook knows what you were looking at and uses it as part of its marketing system which Safari is now blocking it aren't they they're saying they're going to. They're going they're to fail. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Safari might succeed, but Safari itself has failed already, so who cares? It makes up like 8% of traffic. All right, I, I know we're super long here. I, I, I do want to throw out one other thing that, and I'm only doing this because it's news relevant. It's, it's, it's very current, and I know we'll be the first ones to talk about it. <laughs> Did anybody catch the? Uh, we're we're all fans of Ed Finkler here. Um, he's done an amazing job with OSMI, mm -hmm. and uh, he's huge in the PHP community. Um, did anybody catch his tweet today? Did not. No. 
so I linked to it. It's, it's in Trello. Um, I did link to it. Uh, his tweet is, and I'll quote it as soon as it comes up here. Oh, and I skipped over something completely different that I want to talk about, too. But his tweet here is, current status. One, I like my workplace a lot. Two, I think I'm pretty much sold on Python as my future. Wow. You heard me correctly. I'm pre- I think I'm pretty much sold on Python as my future. As a huge... I, I, I still, to this day, think that had I not going down the path of PHP, I would have been a Python developer. Um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I was in operations before I was a full-time web developer, and Python is really strong there. Yeah, but then if you um, were a Python developer, wouldn't you be a Node developer by now? That's, that's a good point, yeah. So, I, mean, I, feel, I feel like everyone left Python for Node. Uh, no, 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 not at all. No, Python is a massively strong, I mean, strong user base, strong community, uh, very, very interesting and fun language to code in. I still can't figure out the different versions of two or three or whatever I'm having trouble installing at the current time. I'm just not a Python guy. I can, I can, I can talk about a lot of that. I don't, I don't want to get too much in that. Thank you. But we're we're running long. This this isn't the first time this has happened. Uh, If you guys remember a few years back, another very prominent PHP developer, Phil Sturgeon's kind of Sturgeon. Yeah. Yeah. Sturgeon's kind of did the whole, uh, Marvel MCU faded into dust in the PHP community because he became kind of a full full time Rails developer. He still he still contributes and he he still you know does talks and stuff. But his focus was on Rails. Um, and we just had the conversations of the benefits of separating a front end from a back end. You know this kind of can lead into that. It's okay. We we talked about switching out the front end, but. What if you want to switch out the back end? What if you want to add a back end, which is something we didn't talk about, um, where you have a Laravel app and then you have a Python developer that comes in and says, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to create this one Python back end and you don't have to worry about mixing all the repos because your front end developers, everything's just an API call to them. Um, you know, what, what do we think about this? Is, is this is this a reason of concern or, or do we just oh, think, no, eh, no, okay. Not concern, but Python is the is the language for all of the piracy applications. Uh, uh, what? Python is very, very popular in certain communities with like no, mo- with mostly. No, no, no. T- Let, let's be honest. Python is popular across the board. No, oh, I, I know mean, that. I know, yeah. but but when I, there's there's a good chance when I'm downloading a server style application for my windows machine it's a python application okay i don't understand your point so i i see a lot of places where i wish i knew python oh you do i i I can guarantee you somebody like you thomas you know python you just you haven't been taught the intricacies of the language but it wouldn't take you any time at all like today Today, you could look at Python code and say, oh, yeah, I, I, I understand. That's always been my thing about Python. Almost anybody can read Python like it was a book. There's, yeah, there's from caveats. my understanding, it's pseudocode. Yeah, yeah. There are some caveats, like, you know, they don't have the concept of arrays. They have lists and dictionaries and things like that. Or, or their arrays are called lists, lists and dictionaries, and they, they, be, they behave a little differently. But in general, any, any one of us, well, obviously me but you guys could easily sit down look at python code not only understand what it's doing in general but have a pretty good idea around the details around 
how it's doing it. Python know, is I a think, great language. Yeah, Python's great, but I think I think Node is the new and shiny right now. And that if I was if I was going to get into something along those lines of terminal level scripting, I would look at Node before I look at Python. And I think that's always been one of the areas that Python struggled with, as the as the web established itself. We're talking years ago, as the web established itself and became more and more popular. Python really didn't forge a path in web front end. It continued to live as a, as a back end development language. And, yeah. What was and, the CGI? Was the CGI extension Python? No, Perl. The Perl, right? Yeah. So I, I think I think that that was because yeah. Otherwise, if something like um, oh shit, what's the Python uh, framework called for web? Oh jeez, I just I I just did a app in this the other day, not too long ago. Um, th- there's a micro framework uh, for Python. Let me look at it real fast. But had had something like Flask, had something like Flask, you know, taken hold when the web was really taking off the php platform may be look very different i think php meant a need in web before anybody else got there and had python done that i think the php landscape would look very very different today oh yeah yeah okay all right maybe it's not that big of a point i i thought it was uh i i thought it was interesting you know again being a Python person, or not being a Python person, but somebody who considers himself a fan of Python, does this doesn't surprise me. But yeah, okay. All right, all right. Uh, we are I running long. We are way over. Yeah, we're way way over, and I'm so yeah. happy. Thomas you're, has you're back to editing to it now. No, no, no. I'm so happy Thomas has agreed to edit this show. Ugh. Oh man, my weekend has just opened up. This is fantastic. But I, despite any kind of concerns you guys might have, I know you guys want to go on. I'm, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm saying we're stopping the show. We're you done. Can continue to try to move stories. I over, fell asleep like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, I no, you that. didn't. You, you were, you were the last one to move cards around. Well, okay, I just added a card, but whatever. Okay, this has been episode 109 of and HBO. 110. <laughs> I'm Eric Van Johnson. <laughs> I'm Tom Rideout. Get started there. I'm John Congdon. Keep it ugly. Keep it ugly. Keep it ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Show notes can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at PHP Ugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or directly off the PHP Ugly RSS feed. A rating of five stars on iTunes is appreciated. Submit articles to PHP Ugly at reddit.com slash r slash PHP Ugly. Until next week, keep it ugly.